Welcome to the Oslo Raw podcast with me, Tiril Refsum, the founder and owner of Norway's leading plant-based cafe chain and wellness concept, Oslo Raw, which is all about pleasure and finding happiness in the smallest of things. And of course, eat a lot of raw chocolate cake. I started Oslo Raw back in 2016 because I wanted to share my passion for healthy foods. After a long time of being burned out, and exhausted after not taking care of myself. After one year of running my first cafe, I had 17 employees and published my first best-selling cookbook. And today we are a team of over 35 members with multiple cafes and a bakery and another best-selling cookbook, as well as running this podcast. On this show, I invite in inspiring people who share their challenges, life stories and ideas with us. We talk about business, career, health, and how to optimize yourself and serve the world. Today, I have the pleasure of talking with Audun Misha, a Norwegian doctor, author, and musician, born in 1953. And he is one of the pioneers here in Norway, bringing health, Eastern medicine, and shamanic traditions together with Western medicine. He has written over 20 books, has received multiple prizes for his work, knowledge and experience with conventional medicine and alternative treatment and music therapy for over 40 years. Today he runs the Center for Life Aid together with his wife Raidun, where they offer both school medicine and alternative medicine, combining ancient traditions with modern science and knowledge. Today we talk about life's purposes and what our generation can learn from Odin's generation. He shares about his near-death experiences while being anorectic as a teenager, how he found his purpose, and which simple steps we can go to find peace and health in our daily life. Enjoy! Thank you so much for joining this show, Eden. I am very, very, very happy and proud to be having a conversation with you. Uh, when I was uh, 12 years old, I had a very hard time. Um, like you, I didn't feel that I fitted in. I had too many thoughts. I didn't know how to breathe. And I was feeling very lost. And I found a CD in my mother's uh, bookshelf. And it was about meditation. I didn't know what it was. And I played it. And you said, do not force the breath. And it clicked for me. And I understood that maybe I'm taken care of by life if I let it uh, come into me and just watch it and lean back. So that was a big change for me. And since then, I found many of your books popping up in my mom's uh, bookshelf and you have written more than 20 books or something and she thinks uh, you are so beautiful and I told her that I'm gonna chat with Audun and she was like wow and then she said oh maybe he can talk about when he was really young and had a hard time and when he found out what he wanted to do do you want to start to share that story Uh, yeah um I was um, growing uh, growing up in normal Norwegian family, the oldest of four children, and things were seemingly uneventful 
um, normal pathway in life, but uh, then um, strange things happened in my body and mind and uh, no one knew what it was. And the uh, thing was, I got anorexia nervosa before it had a name and a treatment. So that was um, very much an effect on my teenage years because there was no help. And I think this has uh, really formed my life that this thought that if I can get through this somehow, uh, could I, could what I've been through be of help to someone else? This was uh, through the years. And I almost died several times. And uh, I was um, ending my life when I was 21. I went uh, to Ireland. I worked in a uh, farm, anthroposophical farm with mentally handicapped. And uh, my health went downhill, so I couldn't eat or um, the little I've eaten, I couldn't eat anymore. And uh, I just went into a death process, actually. And uh, I had a strange experience because uh, this thought came from all of the universe. Now you're going to die. And the strange thing was that I was aware that I could not die. The essence of me could not die. My body was left. I was uh, out of my body. And I saw my life in re review. I saw no judgment and just this sadness of a life that could not be because I was um, something in me. Uh, I had to live the genuine me. I don't know why it was like that, but I had to live a life true to myself and I saw no way of doing it. Uh, and uh, that's why I left it all. And had many strange experiences that would take hours to relate, but uh, I met this uh, strange, uh, this being uh, uh, that was composed of total compassion, total wisdom, and total love. It showed me all of my life, and the strange thing that really has has marked me as a doctor was that uh, the brilliant or the the person that delivered who was best in school and until this sea struck, I was good in sports. Everything was not so interesting. That was just a product of, um, product of um, uh, genes and environment. But there was uh, another me and that was actually expressed through my symptoms, all my misuse, all my strange pains and uh, my stealing food uh, and not being able to eat with others, all these things carry the roots of who I, who I am today, actually. And I was shown everything and I was given the choice that if I was to go back, I should become a medical doctor and work to expand the business, the, the worldview of medicine. Uh, to a more spiritual or holistic worldview of medicine. And I went back and started medicine. <laughs> That's been my life then since 1974, 75. And, and it is my life. <laughs> wow, and I you are, you are still... I don't for that because it's... Uh, uh, I had a reminiscence of this experience some years later when I... I read some lines from a prologue that the poet Robert Frost 
wrote for the inauguration of John F. Kennedy, uh, who was to be president. Uh, these lines were something we were withholding, made us weak until we realized it was ourselves. We were withholding from the land of our living and forthwith found salvation in surrender. Such as we were, we gave ourselves outright. That is so beautiful. You also said in an interview that either you can be real or you will not live at all. <laughs> Did I say that? Yeah. <laughs> Sounds a bit harsh, but but to me it, to me it's been it's been that way that uh, I really uh, there's some essence in us I think seeking expression some some urge I see it in children playing I see it in in these beautiful healthcare workers I work with uh, really using compassion expressing the deep nature um, Chief nurse urine going around changing the ill-smelling diapers of people ranting and screaming with dementia, with all this love and compassion, expressing true nature. These are my heroes. Hmm. I imagine you at that point found out that you had to live um, with this passion and you had to find your life project enabled to be true and and continue. Yeah. So many of my friends and people around me, very few of them know what they want to do. You know, they they have this education and do what everybody says they should, but they don't really know, they don't have that a connection to that um, urge and the stuff they want to share. How, do, how can people know what they want to do? In, shall we all uh, like almost die uh, or, or is there a way? Mm -hmm. Uh, um, yeah. No, it's you. Uh, you went the hard way, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's I'm not into the follow your dreams wave in a way that we often don't know what our dreams are. If we visualize and say, "This is my plan. This is what I'm going to do," often it's only from very limited perspective. I think the main thing is that you have something that matters to you some values, some, something that means something to you and, uh, uh, and really take some small steps uh, because it's, I think that every day there's something you can dedicate yourself to that, that you really can put something into it. You are, you have this passion for, uh, for um, a way of, of life, a way of eating, a way of living. And, and you can take small steps every day. I, I, I don't think the meaning of life or a dedication is handed us on the silver platter or in a vision. I think it's something that evolves, that we are creators continually. We are creators. And every day we have this power to create in all these small moments. How do we use our thoughts? How do we use our actions? Do we just run out with accusations? of others or do we just run in in mental accusations of ourselves or do we just stop and say hey what what's the point of it all i've been given this life these uh, these um, 
uh, moment on earth and I'm going to make the most of it. I, I really like this Tibetan thoughts. I have no idea if it's true or not, but they say that around every human being on earth, there are so many beings swirling around, seeking, grasping at that chance to experience life on earth because it's reality. It's suffering and the way out of suffering. It's, uh, it's a project that that we are able to, as homo sapiens, that we are able to uh, to really co-create. And especially in our time, I grew up in a society where things were more or less fixed. People were in their place and they did their things like parents, grandparents had done before. And now it's like everything is out in the open. <laughs> Gives a, an opportunity, but a responsibility. And if we can waken up to this, this opportunity, we can watch our thoughts. And you may not then uh, today change the world you like to, or follow your dreams, become a famous uh, painter or whatever. But you can every day stop the trivia, stop the gossip, stop the, the autopilot that just goes around. We know that the br brutality of research uh, recent research is that this autopilot that we, that we have in our thoughts in the brain, it's 90 to 98% a reproduction of yesterday, last year, and what will be tomorrow. And I think this is the big challenge that we have this opportunity so close to us, and then we're bound into this mental chatter. That's why I'm not so into positive thinking or those things either. I, I'm into stop, stop the chattering, and, and then look into what matters to you, what's real. After this podcast, you go out to your husband, your child, your dog, whatever, and what matters, what's the important thing? People, uh, I, um, I had a patient uh, the other day, she, uh, she's a lawyer and she had this, um, she was really uh, a very good uh, advisor to people, but she got so fed up in, in uh, the quarrels in relationships. They were quarreling about how, who had bought the, who had bought the, um, the packet of juice uh, and, and who had not, who had, uh, who had uh, uh, washed and done the most dishes. Uh, two, two or more dishes than the other, hung up in this trivia. I'm not criticizing it, but we lose this opportunity. Life is, is there in, in the midst of us. The small miracles, they're happening all the time around us. It's like in Norwegian fairy tales where Oskeladden, uh, Per and Paul, they visualized, I'm going to get the, uh, the king's daughter and I, I'm going to be the one. They go straight forward. They have no time for this old woman who stuck her long nose in the ground and can't get it out. But Askeladen, he's just fumbling around and he sees this woman. Hmm, strange. Well, okay. Doesn't look great with a nose stuck in the ground. I'll help her out. And then, of course, this old ugly woman whispers the code words in his ear that the princess <laughs> hears. And this is, I think this, tale is so beautiful because it it tells us something about what matters we just go on we think this is what, what we're going to do and, and then the opportunity stands there and often this ugly thing that we discard like in the Nidaros Cathedral in Trondheim 
one of the most beautiful buildings that uh, we have produced. The, the stone cutters, they cut an ugly stone in the fundament so that uh, uh, to remind themselves and us all that only God in, in another dimension, everything is perfect. On earth, there's always this ugly stone. And that can be the solution. That can be what we need to look at. Yeah. Wow. I feel like you talk to me, but I also know what the traits that you talk about are very common in especially good girls. And a lot mm. of uh, people listening are women and we want to be perfect, you know, a perfect stone, nothing, no flaws. And we want to achieve the best effectively. Um, I have this very driven personality, so I go for it. And I can sometimes forget to help the old women, you know, in the with the nose in the rock. Um, it's so easy to get trapped in that because it's it's everywhere, and mm. we get approval when we accomplish our goals. And they, we kind of feel it's love, like oh yeah, now I'm loved, and mm. now I'm a part of. Uh, life and people oh so we get this short feeling of community but mm. then then when they go away and they do not clap and are not pr proving anymore then we have to create something more I was in this loop in my whole teenage life mm. I can still feel that character inside pushing me very very hard all the time to 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 achieve to show uh, to perform um, and that is making a lot of stress, you know, on mm. our bodies, our nervous system, our digestion, our creativity, uh, our relationships. So we, life isn't about being effective, as you say, but how can we, um, do you have any tips for our generation that feel that we have no time, we have to be very fast and we have to be perfect? Mm. Uh, I don't know if I can advise your generation. I have a... Um great respect for people growing up now facing so many opportunities and also challenges. I grew up in a very a more narrow and limited world, but I see in once sometimes some ways I was lucky I didn't have all these choices. There was no pressure. No one focused on bodies. Bodies were what they were. <laughs> some were big, some small, some were if a person was fat, it, it, they were fat. It was <laughs> it was a big deal. It was just uh, uh, and uh, of course, this um, I think uh, I'm back to the ugly stone in Nidra's Cathedral. But I think that the chasing after perfection is uh, chasing a mirage. Uh, on the other hand, I think it's it's beautiful this urge for perfection that we can come close. When I write a book, I have a lecture. When I talk to you now, of course, I have this urge to come as close as possible to something we have in us knowing that this is where it's at. So it's beautiful. But, uh, but in one way, uh, that's, but that's the product. I mean, the important thing is the process. And we need to fail like Thomas Edison, who has influenced our life more than perhaps any single person the last uh, hundred, a couple of hundred years. He had, uh, I read somewhere like, 995 failed prototypes for the uh, for what became the uh, the electric lamp before he managed it so it's this toler toleration of all these 
prototypes around. It's like when you hear the start of Beethoven's fifth, ba, 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 ba. I always thought he got it in the search of inspiration. But then they found these notes where there were several similar themes lying around this one before we finally found it. So it's this toleration in ourselves and of others that we have to, uh, we, we get up, we try again, and good parents have this tolerance for their children. I don't think you've, you've pressed your children, oh, now you try to get up, you fell. Yes, you, you, you should walk. It, it, we tolerate that there's a lot of trial and error. And I think we really need to give that to ourselves, give that space. And this, uh, this humor, this, uh, this heart, uh, I think at the end, it all boils down to compassion. Because what, you're, what I hear from you, when you're describing it, it's very hard to sense the compassion uh, to oneself in this attitude. I think compassion, it has to go inward, outward. It's not like self-compassion, compassion to others. Compassion is compassion. It's like you see that we're all struggling. And I've been so lucky uh, to be a doctor, medical doctor, because others, other people think, oh, all the others, they're so perfect. But I've seen all the perfect ones. They've come to me and I've seen their lives and, and we're all in the same boat. We all have things we struggle with. Mm. How relaxed to, to be um, open to oneself, to make a space for all of, for everything. I, I think mm. that will put a lot of the pressure off, but it's a habit and it's a, like stopping the brain and slowing down and watching, you know, my daughter is, her name is Molly and she's, she's just started to walk and just take time to actually watch her instead of then going to the phone and putting out the post about the new chocolate cake and the recipe. And, you know, that um, it's so tempting to reach for the phone and not seeing her, you know, mm-hmm. but it's a habit. It's like, it's like breathing, it's um, discovering uh, and making space in the brain and in life to, to, to receive it because it's always there. As you say, life is always there for us. We cannot run away from it because we want to reach Surya Moria, because we want to be, we, ha- we, wanna, we want to go there, but we don't want to be here to watch the beautiful journey. And my mm. father always reminds me of that because he has helped me a lot with my business. And he says it every time we talk. Tiril, who's got that ice and And I'm, <laughs> and I feel so relieved because uh, a part of me wants to impress him as well. Because uh, when I was a little girl, I wanted to be a boy and I wanted to be really fast and I want to show him how great I was. So I, I have that too. But when he says it's about the journey, I get this. Oh wow, I get this gift again to look at things with interest and curiosity, you know, not um, as a machine. Mm. And this all this goes also for food, you know. And uh, a lot of the women I, I know we struggle with um, control with food. Even either it is anorexia, it's orthorexia, like eating very clean. Um, eating in a certain way because our head tells us to it to do that mm. and I have had stomach pains in my entire life in different ways so it, my stomach kind of tells me when something is off and I'm not listening and when I'm mm. not listening it gets very hard 
um, I almost can't breathe and I cannot digest food. And it's so easy to put that problem in the food. Oh, I'm eating wrong or um, I should be doing something else instead of going inwards and feeling, okay, what do I not expressing? What am I not allowing myself to go through and feel? Um, what do I need really? Maybe I just need a hug. All these things that are much more vulnerable and, and internal than um, going to fix it, you know, because I see a lot of women fixing their diets all the time. And you said in an interview that you don't care about diets, you are about instinct. Can you share a little bit more about that? Uh, I think it, uh, it's an outgrowth from uh, having this eating disorder in my younger life that for me, the privilege has been not eating right according to rules but really uncovering and recovering the body's uh, healthy instincts. What do I need now? And as you say, it may not be food. It's uh, maybe an emotional need. And the more you train yourself to, to listen to the body's signals, it's, just, it's a skill. I think many of these things that people have had instinctively living a life closer to nature we, we have in our time to make conscious and we have to really train ourselves. It's, uh, it's very uh, uh, thankful experience when I see uh, people that have been governed by these thought patterns around what should be instinctive processes and recovering these bodily instincts really. And that requires consciousness and training. It's not something uh, for most people that just happens that now listen to your instincts you really have to uh, have to listen and uh, uh, I um, I think that uh, this needs to come into the whole information about food I'm I'm a bit concerned actually about what's happening uh, a few decades ago there was there were no health um, posts in, uh, in newspapers. Uh, of course, that was on the other pole that there was this feeling that we couldn't do so much about our health. But now it's on the other side with experts. Mind the word expert, there's someone telling you, you should eat, uh, you should eat fruits and vegetables and you should eat fish and you should eat, uh, and it's almost every day. It's an expert standing there telling you, you should eat that. And I think this collectively puts thought patterns into us that is uh, actually, that is actually harming, does more harm than good. All this information about, uh, about healthy food is, is good to a certain point, but, uh, but, not, uh, but only when it's individualized. And you see some people need to really have this detailed knowledge of what's good and bad. Some people have intolerances, allergies, and need to uncover it. But some people, other people need to recover the instincts. Other people need to become conscious of food. Many of the food addicts I've worked with, they, the main thing has been to uncover the places where they use food uh, to ease emotions, like um, 
bulimia or sufferers often they go out and we have this interesting Norwegian word that's come up to please I please others uh, I'm a pleaser and they use this expression that I go out and deliver the goods to others. I stretch myself here, but then I've just had to swallow it all. Swallow like at work. I feel that this is wrong, but then the boss tells or the rules or the invisible people giving regulations for the health services, whatever, or schools saying you, you have to do this. And they feel here. This is really wrong, some little voice screaming, and they try to obey by the rules, and this little voice is there, and they come back, they come home like that. And then what happens? If you eat, especially if you eat these things, ice cream and this sugar, and you really get, the more you eat, the more it's distended in the solar plexus, and it eases this tension. But there are better ways of easing, this, <laughs> easing the tensions. Than, uh, than overeating and, and just having without judgment of oneself or others, just going into like a researcher, this, what am I feeling now? Stopping at the edge of the fridge. What is happening now? I'm really pissed, fuck off! And, uh, and then you change the pattern because they are describing that they go to the fridge like zombies because they have this, this urge. And I think if you can have this wake-up call, this moment, that you can really see, oh, this was what it was all about. And then you're able to disentangle uh, the knots that, okay, this was about feelings. This is about food. Now I'm really hungry. And maybe I, I really, I'd really like a chocolate and then it's okay. <laughs> Especially, it's from, especially if it is from Oslo Raw, of course. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's the truth. Yeah. <laughs> I was paid for that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because we can, um, what we project on our food is actually what we eat. I've been judging food a lot because as I told you, I'm a perfectionist. I have that uh, very easily for me to be perfect about things, which is, beautiful but i have to watch it because it can be it can make me not feeling pleasure it can make me be very um, rigid and that's why i started my business because i wanted to remind myself and others that it's about pleasure it's about enjoying and also for us women if we say no 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 all i guess it's for men as well but i don't know how it is but for, for men but to say yes to life and to food um, without shame and judgment. Uh, the way we digest the food is different. That's what I feel. If I eat the chocolate and think, fuck, this is going to uh, make my stomach full of candida. Uh, this is wrong. I'm going to get acne. Or, and I automatically get these thoughts. So I judge it, but then I eat it. So it's like a conflict inside. And that I see for many of my friends as well. That like, oh, I shouldn't, but I do it. And then it's like this food has been so conflict instead of just being something to celebrate when you said that you suddenly wanted to eat and that was it you know that was to celebrate you don't care about diet but the fact that you wanted to eat after having anorexia was the big deal but that's not how it is for most of us uh, we many people want to be thin they want to control it and 
I think that's really sad because we have all this opportunity to eat all this good food and to feel pleasure, but we um, we, sh- we 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 stop ourselves to to go hundred percent and do it. If it's a croissant, if it's a broccoli, whatever it is, to really enjoy it. Mm. That's what uh, what I started my business on, you know, the pleasure because I see that. Uh, you know, oxytocin, all these nice hormones that uh, started to rush when we um, relax and enjoy food and, you know, and relationships and all of that. So mm. it's a process for me. But do you have any thoughts about that? Yeah, I think the wicked cycle uh, starts when we do not understand the basic physiology that what starts the digestion process from when we see food, when we the uh, mouth is watered. Uh, this is the vagus nerve, the the nerve that makes us that goes through the body that lowers our pulse, lowers tension in the muscle, and um, actually the vagus nerve is the most anti-inflammatory or protects us from inflammation, the main cause of pain and modern diseases disorders, and the vagus nerve. It's um, it then starts rhythmically to digest the food all the way from when you chew here. Actually, uh, it starts the saliva that actually produces enzymes uh, that are similar to what happens further down. So you start even here. And if there's a stress and ambivalence around the eating process, then the vagus nerve cannot function. The vagus nerve has to uh, has to have this peace and acceptance to function. And this is the basic thing. So people say that I don't say grace, I'm not religious. They misunderstand the functional grace. It's not about which gods you pray to or not or don't pray to. It's uh, it's about it's a deep ritual to set the vagus nerve in motion. And then you have this feeling, the vagus nerve gives them the feeling of peace, the peaceful and enjoyable uh, atmosphere in a good meal where people are just together and have this enjoyment. You have the, the hormones that you are mentioning, like the serotonin uh, and uh, the, uh, the oxytocin and all these. Uh, but I think the main, the, the most basic, the most important is the vagus nerve. And if you are governed by this iron mind that say, I have to eat right, then you displace it to a mental process. And then the vagus nerve cannot function freely. And you will not, you are not assured that you will really digest the food in the best way. It's not, uh, you, it can be as healthy as it will outside here. But you're not, will it reach your cells? Will it energize you? Will it give you? Will you give a, Will it give you peace and uh, and this satisfaction, the comfort you really uh, you really need? This uh, the vagus nerve is peace and rhythm. My maternal grandfather, he was a very phlegmatic person, very peaceful, and he just went rhythmically, slowly through all his. Um, activities during the day. He never said an angry or harsh word to anyone. He just liked to be left in peace. And um, 
his favorite meal was uh, this um, uh, was actually uh, pork, uh, the, the really fat rind of pork, and then he he was just uh, humming, and and he, it was fat all over. He had to have this, <laughs> he had to have this, like the small children have, you know, <laughs> in plastic, because and then people say, oh, that's terrible. You will get myocardial infarction. He didn't. He just had this, he had this just immense feel good through the meals. And that's the vagus nerves. And he, he said, isn't this good? Dad? And he said to his, his small grandchild, and uh, uh, this simple enjoyment of one another and food, this is the vagus nerve. And if we, if we, um, uh, manipulate with the vagus nerve, we're manipulating with the most basic um, steering wheel or steering mechanism in the body. From we're small, I've studied babies, I've studied my small grandchildren now, the vagus nerve is basic. In the death process at the end of life, the vagus nerve is the last that gives in. And this is the physiology of good digestion, actually. So eat healthy, but if you make it too much of a mental process, the, the vagus nerve will not be your best friend, I'm afraid. Is it the best? So this is the, the meaning of having the good meal where we really enjoy the food and each other. Mm. That's, that, that's the goal. That's the, my mind says, okay, that's the goal. <laughs> but if you are stressed <laughs> and uh, we had need to eat lunch, how to calm the vagus nerve? Is it for first and foremostly through breathing? Yeah, I think uh, in my book, um, Pust, called actually Breath, um, I have the longest chapter is actually devoted to coherent breathing. It's a very simple mechanism where you slow the breath, both in and out breath, into a very even rhythm. And if you're stressed, and just before the meal, take a couple of minutes to just get into this rhythm, where you're actually down to uh, to a little below uh, six breaths a minute, six in and out breaths a minute, and it's it's so interesting to watch this with people. I've, um, I've counted breaths with a large number of people and they're very stressed and you see when they reach this breaking point, suddenly you see the whole body, uh, the whole rhythm go down. I had a woman yesterday at my office, I still have a bit of my medical practice and she was, her pulse was up in 97 and we did, we we did just small breathing exercises and with voice, and uh, she was down in a pulse of 64. Just uh, so, uh, I'm not saying that will happen to everyone all the time, but it's just an, an image of this. <laughs> um, you can really make a fairly fundamental change in a short time. So this is a breathing method I recommend to everyone. And if you can do that before you eat, simple as that. And that can also be the guideline to uh, how to make space in the brain, you know. It's not only for food, it is yeah. actually how to find out uh, who we are, uh, what we want, what we feel, what we want to say. 
because often if you we were stressed, I, well, I say so much stuff that I don't even want to say. You know, I'm like, because it's coming from this high-paced <clears throat> version of it. Um, but if I go down mm. to the heart and I breathe into the belly, I changed my voice. I changed my words. My thoughts changes. My p- business perspective changes. I am different. To- I have 40 employees. I am different towards them. Um, I hold Molly very differently. So we complicated, as I say, all the experts out there say, oh, this is the magic plan. Now we figured out all these new diets and ways of being healthy. And you are all about nature. I know that. And you're connected to the roots. And it's very simple, actually. Mm. It's not a big deal. It's not a big project or we don't have to change is more making space um, to allow ourselves to um, to feel. Hmm. Yeah, and uh, I think these things are so basic. And uh, again, about this beauty of uh, discovering people. I mean, the people around me that I care about. I don't have a improvement project on them or on myself i think there's something really beautiful in this human being with their uh, their different aspects and um, and if we can really discover that and if we can um, recover our contact with uh, nature i think we are this was a matter of course when i grew up and it's not so many decades ago that I grew up uh, and uh, there was in in the soil uh, we were connected to nature we were connected to uh, to a higher uh, to a higher power that most people believed in and then just in a matter of a few decades then this has all just been uh, sort of fragmented and uh, I'm not a person for going back I'm not a nostalgic person I think evolution or way forward we have to uh, we have to do uh, what, what we can to evolve but we have we really need to find what are our roots because if a plant's going to thrive it, it has to have roots and and what are our roots in this time I think this is a question we really have to devote uh, some time to um, there may be a need for concrete movements. We have uh, transplanted our center from the suburb of Oslo and out here by the largest lake in Norway uh, to offer this space where people can really get down to rock bottom of who am I? <laughs> because this, I think this is the, the most precious question that we, we can really get the space to... To, uh, to investigate, to, to really feel into. And uh, I think we need to recover in this time where polarization is much what threatens us, like all these debates where people are polarized, you saw in the US, but like 30 years ago, I was investigating vaccines, for instance, and what was the really 
the vaccines that were really beneficial and not dangerous, what were the ones that might be more dangerous, what we needed and what were the ones that were dispensable. And we could do this in the free space, but now it's been, it's like you're standing there and the people are for and against it. It's, um, and uh, I think this, uh, I think we really need to recover this sense of oneness with nature that we're all in this together. <laughs> that we don't judge ourselves uh, or others. People are so, so fast to judge, like in traffic. This farmer I know, he is on the road with his tractor. And 20 years ago, people were patiently driving behind him until he went off the main road. 10 years ago, people started driving past him. And now they are driving past him with, uh, with this... this um, judging this damn farmer who's blocking our way. And I think we really, we really need to watch this tendency to judge because we don't know. Uh, I've seen many people that have had this behavior that was so-and-so uh, bad, one could say, but then I've gotten to know them or had them as patients and I see, then I suddenly understand everything, <laughs> that there is a background. There is some pain uh, that that is leading to this behavior, and I really, I really feel we need to go deeply into uh, to this tendency the mind has to judge. Many of the people who go to my workshops and uh, come and are the educations, they have this strange sentence: "I'm not good enough." It's a strange sentence because. I can say I'm not good enough at fixing um, um, motors on uh, uh, fixing motorboats or motorbikes. I'm not good enough at that. That's true, <laughs> and and I live well with that. But this sentence "I'm not good enough" this this leads to with these people with this inevitable and continual self judgment. And I think this is a very serious thing because it blocks this ability to live. And I don't think it's much better, it's any better if you go outside and, and you see everyone that irritates you and annoys you because it's mainly often a projection of, uh, of what we haven't handled in ourselves, the shadow in ourselves. And we really, I really feel we need to focus on these areas in times to come. This is something that I'm really dedicated to. I hope you enjoyed this episode with me and Auden. And, um... I know for sure that breathing is what I'm gonna do for my health now. That vagus nerve is gonna get some real chill out. I hope you enjoyed it and see you very soon.